Welcome to the Mike Dillard Podcast, where entrepreneurs like you get the knowledge and skills that, that you need to bring your dreams to life. Well, gang, welcome to the new format and the inaugural episode of the Mike Dillard Podcast. Now, wait a minute. What? What the hell's going on? Where did self-made man go? I get it. If you're wondering what in the world is happening and why I've changed the name of the show, head over to my YouTube channel and watch the video that I just posted this week, which will give you all of the details about the big name change, the brand change, and all of that good stuff. While you're there, make sure you hit the subscribe button as well, because I'm going to start posting videos there on a regular basis. Now, what I can tell you is that part of the reason for the name change is a result of the personal work that I've done over the past year that you're going to discover here today. So we're joined by Gary John Bishop. And this interview is one of the single most profound discussions that we have ever had here on this podcast over the last four years. So who is Gary? Well, for the most part, he was just a regular dude meandering through life when he found himself attending a personal development conference many years ago on a whim. He wasn't necessarily searching for any answers at the time, but he decided to go on the recommendation of a friend, and what he learned during the next few days would completely transform his life. Now, you're clearly into personal development, which is why you're listening to this podcast right now, but here's a question for you. Why aren't the lives of everyone who dives into personal development radically changed? How many people do you know, and maybe you're one of them, who's read all of the books, listened to all of the podcasts, and attended all of the events, and yet they are still struggling? Well, the answer to that is what you're going to learn here today. Now, I've personally taken an incredibly deep dive into this topic over the last 10 months while I've been dealing with my health challenges, which was basically the collapse of my nervous system from stress. And I can tell you this, if you don't listen to the slow, subtle hints that your body and mind give you, it will eventually force you to listen. And in my case, that event was life basically taking a two by four to my body and saying, hey man, you need to take a seat for a little bit and reevaluate your approach to life or you're going to end up dead from a heart attack here pretty soon. So that's, uh, that's what happened and it forced me to stop, to study, to listen. And it has not been pleasant, but it's enabled me to evaluate the choices that I've made and the drivers that pushed me uh, basically past my breaking point. And what I've learned is exactly what Gary is going to share with you here today. You know, the life you're living is not a result of the conscious decisions that you're making. It is a result of the subconscious stories and beliefs within your mind that you are not even aware of. Now, for example, if your core subconscious belief is that life is a struggle, you're going to find a way to create struggle even when it does not exist. You'll experience success, life will get easy, and then you're going to find a way to screw it up because your core belief is that you need to struggle. And at some point, I'm going to take you through a deep dive of my personal journey and what I've learned when it comes to my stories this year. But I can tell you this, what Gary is going to teach you here today is 100% spot on. And when you crack the code of your subconscious, you're going to end up identifying one, maybe two core beliefs about yourself that have held you back from your potential your entire life. And until you find and change this story, you will continue to repeat the cycles and self-sabotage that you've experienced over and over again until your dying day, no matter how much work you do on your conscious from a personal development standpoint. 
So with that being said, if you want to radically change your life for real and forever, what you're about to learn right now is the key to all of it. And the best part of all is that it's delivered in a delightful Scottish accent that Gary happens to have. So without further ado, let's jump in. Please help me welcome Gary John Bishop. Gary John Bishop, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Mike. It's great to be with you. You bet. So you've got a book that has really uh, taken the world by storm here over the last couple of months. And you've got one hell of a story as well. So I don't want to lead into any specific part of it just yet. But for those of our audience members who have not heard of you, who are you? Where did you? Where did your story begin? Yeah. So I'm originally from Scotland. So, you know, if you close your eyes, you can hear the bagpipes in the distance. <laughs> yeah. But I've uh, been in the United States for about 20 years. I used to be a musician. Way back then, I had long hair and green velvet pants. But about a dozen or so years ago, maybe a little more than that, um, I did a personal development workshop on the recommendation of a relative of mine. And at the time, it just seemed like the the most dumb thing to do. I mean, I just I, I had no interest in personal development. You know, I'd considered myself driven, hardworking, single-minded, successful. You know, I had no real interest in peeling back layers and what have you. So I, eventually I agreed to do this thing. And I went in there. I remember going in there thinking, this is this is going to be terrible. You know, I'm only doing it as a favor to this guy. And, you know, I had visions of, you know, chanting and holding hands and all kinds of stuff. And um, that's not what it was like. It was actually uh, the complete opposite. It was very confronting and enlivening. And uh, and I really got like, uh, I really started to, it was the first time in my life really, even though I'd never really spent too much time on it, but I'd, it was the first time in my life that I, I actually made sense to myself. Like everything seemed to just add up when I walked out of that workshop. And I, and I went on a tear, you know, I mean, I was on fire coming out of that thing. You know, my business went through the roof, like parts of my life that hadn't worked began to work. And uh, at the same time, you know, I'd noticed that as I was talking about the work that I was doing, people were getting really inspired by it and moved by it. And and so what that led to was me pursuing a pathway to become um, a facilitator for uh one of the largest personal development companies in the world. Um, I became a senior program director there. And I traveled all over the world delivering these transformational programs. For a number of years, actually, I did that. And then, uh, you know, about four years ago, I quit. And I, I kind of went out on my own, really looking for my own message. What What is it I want to say to people? And how do I want to say it that might be a little more of a self-expression rather than delivering somebody else's message. And uh, that led me to, to write the first book, which I self-published. And uh, I, only, I only wrote the book because somebody asked me to do it. I really didn't think anyone would buy it, you know. And then, yeah, I had, to, I had a lofty aim, I think. The initial aim, I think, was to sell 500 copies. And if anybody knows anything about the book industry, if you sell 500 copies, it's like a revelation, you know what I mean? I mean, it's... It's really challenging to sell 500 books on your own. And so uh, I eventually sold 2,000 in the first seven weeks. And then within five months, I'd sold 35,000 copies of the book. And then I got, a, I, got a, I got an offer or two from major publishers, which kind of forced me to get an agent. 
And then uh, the book was eventually picked up by HarperCollins and, and released through their publishing company. And it's now sold, I think, close to 800,000 copies. It's a New York Times bestseller. Um, and my new book comes out in May. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really been, it's really proven to be a, a message that people really, really wanted to hear and delivered in the way that I've delivered that seems to just resonate with people and make it, and it's making a massive difference. I mean, I'm getting a lot of emails from people with what they have done with what they got from the book, which is just great. I mean, it's great to hear people taking themselves on and changing their lives in such dramatic ways. So the book is titled Unfuck Yourself, Get Out of Your Head and Into Your Life. And, right. you know, on Amazon, you've got just under, just shy of a thousand reviews. Yeah. Which is huge. Yeah. And so clearly the book is making an impact. What is the process that you take people through in the book? That's actually a really good question. Most people don't ask me that. People usually ask me, how do we unfuck ourselves? But um, <laughs> Well, I'm um, assuming that's what the process does. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you have to start with a notion that, that where you're at in life is a is is by is a function of you getting yourself here. Now, that's not how we live our lives. We live our lives like that we've made the best out of whatever was handed to us. So I, I really point to like, well, what is the location? Like where does where does your life get planned? Where does it get executed? Like, where's all that happening for a human being? And ultimately, what it comes down to is it's all happening in your head. So you're in a constant conversation with yourself. Now, I, I, I'm crystal clear that there are people who are listening to this right now just said to themselves, I'm not talking to myself, which is you talking to yourself. And there are people who, who are well aware that they're talking to themselves. But what the book does is start to shine a light on what you're actually talking to yourself about and the ways that the subtleties of that language that you're using are not only shaping what you do, but they're shaping your experience of what you do. Like you're having an emotional and physiological response to whatever you're talking to yourself about. So in other words, you know, as a human being, your your life is reflected by the kind of internal dialogue you've got. Now, I don't mean positivity or something, right? Like, you know, I'm a champion. I can do it. I can do anything. I'm actually talking about the kind of under the surface stuff. Like, what are you really talking to yourself about? What are you really driven by? And, uh, and, in the, and then and Fuck Yourself, I talk, to, I talk about, you know, in life, the measure of how your life is going has got nothing to do with how you feel. The measure of how your life can, is going can be, can be found in some external situations and circumstances. And so mo most of us relate to feeling better as some kind of indicator of how life is going. And then if I don't feel so good, or I'm feeling nervous, or I don't, I'm not confident, or I'm afraid, or I'm intimidated, then that's, that's some kind of indicator that I shouldn't do something. And I, I don't believe in that at all. I think you're, I think psychologically, neurologically, physiologically, you're, you're always looking for the safest route. And the safest route in life is given by what you've already done. So therefore, everything you're out to do is going to be shaped and tempered by what's been done before. So in the book, I really get into like how to break out of your own self-imposed shackles, how to recognize them. Like, what are mine? Like, real, one of the things I'm really passionate about, Mike, is, you know, I, I love the personal development industry. I just, I love it. But at the same time, 
like there's a lot of BS in it. And I mean a lot, like not a little, but a lot. And a lot of it kind of like is designed to make you feel better about the crap in your life, which I'm not a fan of. I'd rather you just went to work in your life. You know how you feel about it, you know, go up and down. And so uh, this book, like all of my work is designed for you to really like truly impact your life, not come up with some strategy, some system and an acronym, like, you know, some seven steps to something or 22 steps to this. It is literally about this is how you're going to change your life and this is how you're going to do it. And this is what you're going to be up against. And moment by moment by moment, this is what it's going to take from you. What can you share with folks when it comes to developing some self-awareness about the self-talk that they have? Because those are are the the subconscious stories that we've lived through that drive us that we're not even aware of for the most part. That's right. It's, It's really fantastic. Actually, most studies will tell you that you spend between 95 and 99% of your life on autopilot. That means like there's there's no real cognitive interaction with what's going on around you, right? You're just doing it the way you know to do it. Like you're driving your car. You're not aware of everything that's happening around you. You've got your eye on the road and that bit there. And then there's all this other stuff happening that you're not just not keyed into. There's a reason why you put your pants on one leg after the other in a certain order, There's a reason why you part your hair the way you part it. There's a reason why, and all of these things, like you're not, I mean, how many times, I'm sure your listeners have had this experience, like you've driven home or you've gotten the train home from work and you don't remember anything about the journey, like not a thing, like, you know, it's like, oh, I'm home already. Like you're you're kind of surprised that you're at your stop or you're at your exit on the, on the freeway. So you're, you're, you're very much a subconscious being or is Jung would have called it, he would have said you're an unconscious being. It sounds a lot worse when you say you're 95% unconscious. So, but you are driven by certain things. Like, you know, one of the one of the ways that I revealed an unconscious limitation of mine to myself was uh, a number of years ago, I was working out a business strategy from a coaching business at the time. And I had this, I was working on an Excel spreadsheet and I'm going to do this and I'll do it. And I'm, and I'm plotting the year. And I realized that when I did it all, it all added up to a certain number. And I stopped myself in the moment. I'm like, where did I come up with that number? Where, where did that come from? It's not, it's not just random. It's, it's clearly a number that at some level I think I can do this. I'm not, I'm not putting down numbers on this Excel spreadsheet that I think I can't do. And, and, and in my mind, I guess I'm saying to myself, well, I'm being a realist. Right. But I mean, if you talk to people who have had like fantastic or amazing financial success in life, their reality and my reality are two different things. But which one is real? So I really confronted in that moment. Anyway, I confronted this kind of glass dome that was over me when it came to my finances at the time. And I really saw like I was playing a very defined game within an already organized set of rules that I wasn't even aware of, the only thing that I could see was what they were producing. I didn't, I didn't see the rules. I didn't see the internal dialogue. I just saw what they were producing, and what they were producing was that number. And then if I reeled it all back, it was something like, you know, my, I mean, I've done a lot of work on myself, but my, my life conclusion, if you like, or my conclusion about myself is, and it's very fundamental, and it's everything's organized around it is that I'm not smart enough. 
right? Now, I've done a lot of cool things in my life. I've done a lot of smart things in my life. But that singular internal dialogue has never changed. It's always there, right? And it's actually a very common one, right? I'm not smart enough. Another one is I'm not enough or I'm not loved or whatever. But there's an internal dialogue, an internal critic, if you like. And it's most loud when you're most pressed in life. So the way to spot it, if you're not already aware of it, would be to look at what you've made your life about. And if you kind of reverse engineer it, you'll start to see what's really driving you, right? In love or with your health, your body, with your finances, with your business ideas or your dreams. You'll see whatever self-imposed limitation is on that. And I would say this with one little caveat, by the way. The people who have got to be most, who are most challenged by what I'm saying, and I mean the most challenged by it, are those that have that kind of trait for being positive. Like they can't, they, they really struggle to look at the their inner critic mm. because they can't be with that it exists. They become so imbued by their own positivity. But but the same rule applies. It might be more challenging for you, but it is there. You, you weren't born positive. You can actually popped out like the opposite, right? You're a little annoyed when you were born. In fact, you weren't born in any one particular way. But if you if you look at yourself now compared to when you were 20 or look at yourself compared to when you were 10, you've become this kind of version of yourself. And that's all given by that and shaped by what's now, and I really mean this, like permanently in there in your, in your subconscious like this. In the new book, I talk about what you've concluded about yourself, but also talk about what you've concluded about other people and how you use that as a guide for everyone you meet and how it shapes it and how it forms your life and anything you're up to in life, you've already got one foot nailed to the floor given by what's already stewing away in your subconscious. How do you, how do people start to identify those stories? When you wake up in the morning, right? When I wake up and we all wake up in the morning, we like to say something like we awaken to the world or something like that. But you don't, you don't awake into the world. You awake into yours. Right. Right? And yours is unique. It's not the same as mine. So your emotional state is immediately tuned into your world. Right? Now, you've got friends who agree with your world. That is, your experience of being alive is kind of similar to theirs. So we complain about the same stuff. You know, we agree on it. Right? We get sit around and talk about how it works terrible or bosses this way or it's too hard to do this or it's too hard to do that. So you have the life, and I really mean this, that you have the life of your subconscious, right? You, there's a French psychologist from like the 18th century, a guy called Emile Coué, and he basically said, where, where the conscious mind and the unconscious mind come together and they conflict, the unconscious wins, Every time. Now, in, the, in society these days, we call it self-sabotage, right? Now, everybody self-sabotages, right? We don't do it. And this really is like the where I go into this in the second book. The new book's called Stop Doing That Shit. <laughs> I, like to, I like to kind of cut through the, yeah. the kind of... <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, these are, these are not, I'm not doing it for sensationalism. This is how I talk. Yeah. But really, like... You self-sabotage for a reason, right? And it seems like you don't. seems like, you know, I'm committed to be in this relationship with this person, but man, like, 
when we get in an argument, this thing comes out of my mouth and I know I shouldn't say it, but here it goes anyway. Or, you know, I just got my finances in order, like it's taken me three years to get my stuff lined up and now I'm starting to feel really good about it. And then like I throw a hand grenade in the whole thing. Or, you know, like I try hard to get this job that I really wanted, this career, I really always wanted it. And six months into it, I'm like getting itchy feet again. It's time to go again. And on and on and on and on. You know, you're eating, you're dieting, you're exercising. Like It's like you build things and then burn them down. And the place to identify, so this is kind of a long way for me to tell you this, but the place to identify what's going on with you subconsciously is to start to ask yourself, well, when I've burned it down again, what do I get to say? What, I, what, what, what gets reaffirmed for me? about myself or reaffirmed for me about other people. And these are the three key components or, or reaffirmed for me about life. Right. So, and again, this was something I discovered for myself and in coaching people. I'm probably coached close to 50,000 people now at a really intense level. And I found that these, this strain of conversation with people that I, this is what I talk about in the second book, my fundamental like conclusive view of life itself is that it's a struggle. Like it's just a struggle. What does that mean? It means like in everything that I do, like if there's no struggle there, I'll find it. And if I can't find it, I'll make it. Why? Because I need that familiarity. I need things to be familiar to me. You know, so uh, when I first started to uh, really become successful financially in my life, I I noticed there was this massive draw to just get rid of the money, like spend it and, you know, like get rid of it. And I'm looking for opportunities. But it it wasn't, it never seemed like to me, oh, yeah, I mean, this is just me giving the money away. It seemed like, oh, no, I really want that thing or I really want that thing or it'd be awesome if I had that thing or I really need that thing. But what I realized was ultimately it was about emptying the bank account. And so it tied in beautifully. Like I sabotaged my finances so that I can get back to working on this life as a struggle and then overcoming it and then burning it down and then overcoming it and burning it down over and over and over like it's a cycle of the predictable. And once you start to uncover what you as an individual have fundamentally concluded about yourself, about other people and about life itself, your entire existence will not only make sense to you, but you'll actually start to see how currently, no matter how great your life might be, how you're currently limiting yourself, holding yourself back, like living within this kind of paradigm of constraint. I I can definitely um, I can definitely relate to you know the the different stories and cycles that I've seen myself repeat over right. my lifetime. So once you have those identified, how do you stop it or change it? It's really it's really um. Well, you're getting right into the bone here. This is good. Um. <laughs> Yeah, it's really good. These are like great. You'll you'll never master your own physiology or psychology. You'll never master it until you fully understand it. And you don't have to go into it like some kind of, you know, opus, you know, like a massive body of work. You're a pretty simple thing. You know, you're a human being driven to get better, right? No, that's like all human beings were driven to get better. Better at what? better whatever we're not good at 
which includes I'm not good at being myself. I want to be a better version of myself. Most people who pursue success in life are trying to make themselves better. There's something about themselves they're not okay with. And they're so not okay with it, they barely even realize that it's the not okay that's driving them. It seems like they're driven by, no, no, I've always wanted, you know, nice things. Yeah, but how come? Well, I like nice things, but how come? And if you keep driving in all the way, it's because I don't think I'm good enough. So if I'm driven by I'm not good enough, right, if I can get it all the way down to that, I'll notice as a kind of, we each have like this kind of baseline experience of ourselves. Mostly, by the way, we don't, we're not keyed into it. We're too busy seemingly living our lives. We don't realize we're living our lives to compensate or overcome it, compensate for it or overcome it. So once you can recognize that, once you can see that for what that is, and and by the way, if you have, for your listeners, this is what this thing is. Actually, I'm going to explain it and they'll recognize it in their own lives. If you look back on some of your greatest successes, things you are proud of, happy with, like things like if you went to college or you started a business or you wrote a book, whatever the thing is, and you had this kind of pathway where you were like lit up like a Christmas tree and you were going for it and you were doing it. And sometimes it was hard and sometimes it was really challenging, but you were committed to it. And then you did it. And then it fell off a cliff. Like you done it and then, huh, okay. And then there's this compelling need to now do another thing. Why? Because that thing never fixed what I thought it would fix. And invariably, that's something about myself. Once you understand that mechanism, once you can you can experience yourself, like emotionally experience that, like, oh, I'm in that familiar place. This is where I usually sabotage. This is where I usually burn it down. And again, this is this, this is the kind of model that I create for people. I actually talk about starting to live your life in reverse. And I mean like your entire life. I don't mean parts of it. I mean like your whole life, like to live it in reverse. Your life is either going to be some kind of struggle with what's going on with you subconsciously, or it's going to be like this, this incisive look at what it is that really fuels you and then giving yourself alternatives. Like what's the alternative to who I've become? And I want you to know, this is exactly how I live my life. This is exactly how I've accomplished what I've accomplished in life. Most of what's going on with you subconsciously is a product of your own past. In fact, all of it is. It's a product of what you've already seen, what you've already heard, what you've already noticed and smelled and touched. It's all a product of that. And if that's going to be what guides you into the future, that's the limit right there. I mean, you can get better here and there. But you'll never you'll never have a life where you're like totally unrecognizable unless unless you're able to master that propensity for self-destruct. And how you rec- how you how you master that propensity for self-destruct is one by recognizing and two by uh, by what the alternatives are. And so in the book I talk about the British philosopher Alan Watts, who actually didn't believe in this thing called cause and effect. He didn't believe that you were necessarily a product of your past. And I don't mean that in some kind of like philosophical positive way. I mean, he said there is no actual cause between there and here. And that as human beings, we live like we are caused by what has been. And so in the book, I make this argument for, well, what if you were caused by 
what's to come. And the only way you can be caused by what's to come is if you're clear about what that is and that it informs you and that it inspires you and that it elevates you and that it actually calls you out from your typical, most cyclical ways of being and acting. And, and that is how I live my life. I live my life caused by a future that I've created. And I experience myself from time to time pulling to go in the familiar direction, emotionally pulling to go in the familiar direction, and then dealing with myself to step out there and get into that more kind of uncertain aspects of life and start to live my life beyond the constraints of what even I think I can do. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the wheels are, are definitely turning here. From a practical standpoint and a process standpoint, Yeah. What does that look like? Is it a matter right. of writing out affirmations every day? But how do you reprogram? And, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we become kind of fascinated by the notion of a reprogramming ourselves. And you know, I, I'm. I guess this is a little bit of Zen Buddhism or something here. But as a human being, whatever you resist about yourself persists by virtue of your resistance. So if you're acknowledging that you're unhappy. And the aim is now to make yourself happy. The unhappiness persists by virtue of the pursuit of happiness. Right? Now, that's not something new. I mean, Sartre said that, the French existentialist. He said we live our lives in pursuit of being. So I'm a little, I'm a little kind of a little different to that in that regard, I guess. What I say is if I can acknowledge something that it's just there. Like, oh, yeah, there's that kind of negativity. There's that. I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm smart enough. I don't think I fit in or I don't fit, think I belong. There it is. And, I've, and I realize I have no say in that, by the way. I have no say in, in a lot of the thoughts that flash across the surface of my brain. I have no say in them. If I did, they would say much better things. Right? They'd be saying, you're awesome. You can do anything. It's not that. And especially not that when I'm losing or I feel like I'm losing. So, and I'll use the example of when I wrote my first book. So I said earlier, my internal conclusion, and it's like a conclusion, it's like a permanent fixture, and it's always there or thereabouts in the background of my thoughts, is that I'm not smart enough. So you can imagine like sitting down in front of a laptop, starting to write a book, and up comes that thought. And it's not, I'm not actively saying I'm not smart enough. Here's what I'm saying. Oh, this is crap. Oh, this is terrible. I mean, nobody's going to read this. And it's all given by, I'm not smart enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not smart enough. But what I did was, again, with my commitment to being given by something called the future, I said, okay, I'm going to start this book on this date. It's going to be completed by this date. And that is my word in the matter. That is my promise. And there's no, nothing's getting in the way of this. And I really mean like nothing's getting in the way of this. So there were days when I, you know, I didn't want to go anywhere near the laptop. I thought what I was doing was terrible. And yet I would walk into that room and I would say to myself, I'm not my thoughts. These are just thoughts. They're happening. I am what I do. And I sat down in front of that laptop and I typed. And then at the end of the day, I would close it down. I'm not my thoughts. I am what I do. And then I would come. I would open it up. I wasn't trying to make myself feel better. What I was doing was shifting the context of everything that I was doing so that I could behave in a way that was illuminated by the future that I was out to accomplish. And what I found was 
that I could coexist. Like I and this internal mechanism for safety and certainty could live together. But for the first time in my life, I started to realize that I didn't have to live as it. I could live with it. And it, there's a, there's, there was like a tremendous amount of like freedom started to arise. Like that's there. Now what? Or that's there. But what else? And, and I started to realize like it became a function of not what's there, but what, what am I creating this year? What am I bringing into my life? What am I having? My, what am I having my life about? The voice in my head would rather it was this way, but what am I having it be about? And, uh, you know, that allowed for me to start to break through some really old limitations. And it's funny because every time you break through one, the noise never changes. It's like, you know, after I'd written the first book, it was like, well, yeah, you did one, but you couldn't do two. Hmm. You know, it just keeps coming up. But I, I've actually found myself becoming really facile with, like I said, like coexisting. I'm, I'm not trying to change it. I'm not trying to make it go away. I'm not trying to fight it. It's just there. And it, it only becomes significant in the moment that I say, oh, this this noise in my head right now is important and I should do something with it. But if I don't and I give all of my attention to what it is that matters to me or what's important to me or what I'm committed to, after a very short period of time, the noise just kind of fades into the background. I mean, it'll be back, but... Its ability to impact the quality of my life has diminished greatly, greatly. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really interesting. A friend of mine introduced me to a hypnotherapist a few months ago, and I've started I've started working with him and doing you know sessions where we'll go regress back to traumatic shit that happened in my childhood that yeah. created the stories that I've formed right and that have shaped right. my life. And I don't know if you have any experience in that, but what's really interesting is we'll go back to those moments and then reframe them and train, you know, change the story basically. Yeah. It might just, it might not happen the first time, but after two, three, four, five sessions like that, yeah, all of a sudden I find myself not thinking about that stuff anymore. Right. It's so, just, yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. I mean, it's a different methodology than the one that I've used in the yeah. past. So my field is what you would call ontology, okay? It's uh, it's a branch of philosophy. Ontology and phenomenology are the kind of things that I'm interested in. Ontology, O-N-T, ontology is the study of being, okay? So you are a human being. Now, no one really talks about, well, what's the being part? You know, we, we seem to relate to that like it's some kind of mythical, I don't know, glow or something. But you're a ball of being, if you like. You're, you're, and you have very definitive ways that you be. So, you know, as, a, as an adult human being, and it's for anybody listening, if you actually watched your own behaviors, you would see your own kind of most default ways that you be. And this was something that the German philosopher Martin Heidegger talked about extensively. Because he said language and being are in a dance with each other. That is how you talk, both to yourself and other people, is literally shaping who you be. So if you, for instance, are someone, if you look in your day-to-day -day life like, and you're being hardworking, you'll notice when you're being hardworking, you're talking hardworking. You'll notice when you're being compassionate, you're talking compassionate. You'll notice when you're being joyful, 
you're talking joyful, right? You're not being joyful and talking about something that's miserable, right? They're, they're always in this dance. Now, if you think about that, like he actually was a lot more eloquent about it than I could ever be. He said language is the house of being. So how does that relate to somebody like you, we are past, or myself with my past? I've already housed my past in language. Therefore, my emotional connection to it remains the same. So my the way that I be now about my past is the same because it's housed in the same language. Now, some people as adults, what they do is they get older, they start to get a little more philosophical and say, well, you know, my past just went the way it went. It doesn't affect me now, which is complete bullshit. It's complete bullshit. If you've never done work on your past, try on the idea that you're still incomplete about it, that it's still shaping you in ways that you can't see. I, if I could give anybody any advice, it would be do work on your past. Do some work on it. Do some work on yourself and your past and your connection to it. If you're interested in having a better body, more money, more love, whatever your thing is, do some work on your past, right? And be rigorous about it. So what you're now doing, by the way, if you look at it from my perspective of ontology is you're housing your past in a different body of language. Therefore, you're having a different experience of it. So if you ask somebody about their past, they'll say, well, you ask them to explain, for instance, their parents, they might say, well, my father was kind of closed off. And my mom was a worrier. And, you know, I never really got along with my sister too much. She was busy doing her thing. So I did my thing, which all seems like nothing on the surface of it. But if you go into it, you say, well, tell me a little bit more of your dad. Well, my dad was more interested in his work than he was interested in me. So he's always doing that. And as an adult man, I can see, you know, he was giving it his best shot. And the question I usually ask people is, yeah, but what was it like for the kid? And here's what you'll find. It's something like, well, for the kid, it seemed like he didn't care. Good. All right. Connect that to your current life. Let's look at the upsets in your life. And here's what you'll find. You've still got upsets in your life. And the primary con primary concern you have is you don't care for me. It's the same incompletion you've had housed in the same range of emotions, housed in the same language that got you hooked as a kid. So what I say to people is, you got to start looking at it in a different way. And I take a very, I think, distinct approach. I say to people, you got to confront the idea that you've blamed your father to get yourself off the hook for how you've turned out. And often I'll get people that go and apologize to their parents and they get freaked out. I'm not apologizing. That jerk, he screwed my wife. I said, I get it. But if you're interested in getting free, you have to be very liberal with the forgiveness. You have to forgive everybody involved. Why? Because when everybody's forgiven, it doesn't mean they're off the hook. It means that you're off the hook. It means you're no longer constrained by it, that your releasing of them is releasing yourself. So uh, my view is always has be, is consistent. It's consistent in the first book. It's consistent in the second book. It'll be in the next three books. Language, how you talk about yourself how you talk about others. And I'm not talking about in some cognitive way. I'm talking about by default and the flow of your everyday thoughts, the, the already existing barrier between you and your mom or between you and your brother or between you and your wife or 
girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever that might be, what's already there. It's not something that you should ignore. And it's something you should start getting interested in. Like, what, how, what is this barrier between my, my, myself and my, again, using an example, my father? Because most people say, you know, we just don't get along. We don't see eye to eye. That's bullshit. That is absolute bullshit. There is something palpable and real there that if you got that complete, and I'm not kidding, it would disappear. It would no longer be there. And you'd be freed up to relate to him as a human being. And who knows, maybe even re-expose yourself to the love or the compassion or the understanding that you once had that got soured or changed or altered. Yeah, that is, uh, that's some powerful stuff. You mentioned you've got to go back and do the work, right? And, right. and for the people who are listening to this, everyone in this audience is into that, which is why they're listening to this damn show. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's going to take more than reading a book or listening right. to an audio book. And so right. when you say do the work, what are the options for folks? And it can be your events. It could be whatever modalities yeah. you recommend. But for those yeah. who are like, this sounds great. I want to, I want to do this. What yeah. does that look like and what is involved? Look, there's a lot of a lot of workshops out there. There's a lot of there's a lot of organizations out there. I'm not going to recommend any of them because you know I haven't done them all. But I will say there's a plethora of personal growth, personal development companies with massive reputations who have got or, or by the way, even like you know, like a highly recommended therapist or psychologist or somebody who can help you work your way through the mud. You don't necessarily work with these people because there's something wrong with you. You got to give up that idea. You work with these people because you're committed to freedom. You're committed to being a fully free and involved and alive human being. And so you would work with these people. You would listen to the experts. You would read books. And you're right. You won't get it all by reading books. But you'd be amazed. Like if you, like again, language is the house of being. If you set yourself in the conversational domain, that is, if you get any of the kind of conversations where people are talking about how to deal with your past, not, by the way, I don't mean you get together and just talk about your past. I mean, you're in the kind of conversations where people are dealing with it, like they're producing results that they've transcended or transformed it. But if you get yourselves into the conversations for those kind of things, you'll have light bulbs going off all over the place because people will be saying things that you'll connect and people will say things that will have you look at it in a new way. I mean, you might be listening to this podcast right now, and some people might already have had three light bulbs go off. Why is that happening? Because you're in the conversation for what this is. So if you're, if you're interested in transforming your life, then transformational conversations need to be a part of your life. You can't just dip in and then out and then in and then out. You need to like figure out how do I get this to be part of my life? Who do I talk to? And and again, it's, you know, go online, do your research. Google is completely your friend and go on to forums and talk to people and tweet about it and Instagram and people will share. They'll say, oh, I did this thing or I did that thing and this really worked for me or that was terrible. And try these things out, not to find like the ultimate answer, but like you're doing these things as like a body of work that only completes when you die. And that body of work is this constant process of revealing new dimensions of freedom. And you, you could do that until you take your last breath. And that's what you used your life for. You used your life 
to, to go through these ongoing processes of unleashing yourself. You're never a done deal. Never. I don't care what great thing you got, what insight you got, what transformation you got. I don't care if you were sucking down ayahuasca on the slopes of the Andes. Like you, your transformation is never done. It's an ongoing process that only ends when the opportunity of being alive gets taken away from you. Yeah, as my, my friend Aubrey would say, it's the pursuit of becoming a fully integrated human. <laughs> right. Emotion, emotionally, spiritually, physically, hmm. you know, the whole deal, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. So, man, I can't, wait to, I can't wait to dive in. I've got a thousand questions, but <laughs> it would, it, we could keep going on this for hours. Um, so, obviously, people can pick up a copy of the book, Unfuck Yourself. I'm going to pick up a few for some friends of mine as well. And... If people want to plug into your work in a more comprehensive manner, what are the options? Yeah, yeah. So from the get go, my, my I've had this big commitment to not do what everybody else has done in this genre. So I, I, I give a lot of free stuff away. So if you follow me online, quotes, memes. If you talk to me in social media, I'll respond to you. You can be part of my what I call Unfuck Nation, which is on my website. And it's just newsletters. I'm not selling you anything. I'm not asking you to sign up for anything. I'm not asking you for any money. You'll get like something from me every two to five weeks with some, and it'll be thought-provoking and inspirational and allow you to continue your development. Um, You can check my blog out too at my website, garyjohnbishop.com. I do have a couple of courses you can do. My courses are like very reasonable, like a hundred bucks. There's like three courses, I think, Uh, like a hundred bucks each. And then obviously, you know, in May, when uh, Stop Doing That Shit comes out, which the subtitle of that book is um, End Self-Sabotage and Demand Your Life Back, I'll be doing a book tour so you can catch up with me there and there'll there'll be engaging book tours. You'll get to, you know, engage with me and ask me questions. And I do like to get out there and do speaking events. I've got a number coming up, which you can, again, find on on my website. But uh, I'm really committed to just, you know, be the kind of catalyst that allows people to make real change in their life. That's my life's work. That's what it's all about. And I really authentically mean this, you know, the idea of doing what I do with some kind of career is foreign to me. I mean, it's nice and, you know, I get to pay my bills and all that stuff. But what this is really authentically about for me is how can I make a difference for as many people as I can before I die? And uh, I don't know when I'm going to die. It might be next Thursday. It might be another 50 years from now. But the reality is one of these days I am going to die. And I'm committed that I use this life for a purpose greater than my own. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of us who are listening uh, resonate with that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Gary, thank you so much, uh, and I'd love to get you back on the show to talk about the new book as soon as you're ready. Uh, yeah, and we can do a follow up. That would be amazing. Yeah, you got uh, it anytime. Yeah, but thank you so much. This was uh, phenomenal. It's definitely uh, an episode I'm going to have to go back and, and listen to at least two or three times because you definitely. <laughs> God, the brain feels like spaghetti right now. So <laughs> I get it. A, always a good sign. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much, guys. Go pick up a copy of the book, Unfuck Yourself, Get Out of Your Head and Into Your Life, and uh, go connect with Gary John Bishop online at his website. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and interview as much as I did, please share it with your friends so they can benefit from it as well. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week. 